call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 56 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch a film decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, re-watched the 1982 John Carpenter classic, The Thing. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. All I know is that someone on this podcast ain't what he appears to be. So what the fuck have you been watching? Well, I have been watching not that many things, apart from the things that I guess... Well, I did. I watched a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Literally. I watched all the things. Before that, I was going to mention a couple of other non-thing things. One of them is not actually something I was watching. It's something I was listening to. I sent you a recommendation on this. I listened to the podcast documentary called Exit Scam. Ah, yes. I started that and I will finish it. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm, I'm taking a two-hour train journey today. I'll probably finish it on that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I started getting into audio podcasts. This one came from a few months ago. I think it came out this summer. It's a podcast documentary about Gerald Cotton, who was the CEO of a company called Quadriga, which was Canada's biggest Bitcoin exchange. He died a couple of years ago in India due to complications from Crohn's disease. Allegedly. Oh, what? Oh, my God. We don't know. So, it's yeah, you've started it. It's a, a wild ride. There's a Netflix documentary coming out next year. Which will not be good. Do you know how I found out about Exit Scam? Tell me. I found out about it because I watched the 2011 version of The Thing. Go on. This is insane. So the English character in the 2011 Thing, Colin, is played by an actor called Jonathan Lloyd Walker. His wife, Shona McDonald, directed a documentary about Gerald Cotton called Dead Man Switch, which is coming out next month. So just because I was reading up on the cast and clicking on random links, I was like, oh, this guy, he's English. That's okay. what took you to Exit Scam. Yeah, and then I clicked on his wife. Wow, because it was started, a good find. I am enjoying I, it. I started reading about Gerald Cotton, and I saw that Exit Scam was getting a lot of praise, and this has sent me into a spiral into other true crime podcasts. And I it's got all a good thanks one. to The Thing. Which, I got a good one. What's yours? If you're liking the audio ones, then I've another one for you. Uh, it's called Wind of Change. Oh, nice. Yeah, by Patrick Radden Keefe. He wrote a book about the IRA that a lot of people read last year called Say Nothing, but it's basically an investigation into the theory that uh, Wind of Change was co-written with the CIA because uh, the song Wind of Change by the Scorpions uh, was supposedly had a great hand in the toppling of the Soviet Union. Um, anybody with an actual interest in history knows that's probably fucking horseshit. Yeah, that doesn't anyway. sound <laughs> particularly plausible. No, 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 no. It was rotting on the inside from about the uh, early seventies. Right. Yeah. Still, I'm. I like. But that it's very song. good. It's a, a very good podcast, and his book on the IRA is very good, and it made me uh, order his book on OxyContin on Kindle. By the way, big shout out uh, to Amazon Kindle, the best thing ever. Oh yeah, have you just got one? I've actually got an Amazon Ken doll, <laughs> which is good too. Speaking of Ken doll, I've been watching the newest episodes of Succession, and I will deliver my uh, final uh, my final verdict when they're done. 
Uh, but on other things I've been watching, there. I didn't finish, but go ahead. Oh, go on. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just had one other recommendation. No, you do yours. We'll do. No, the, you do we'll yours. Do okay, well, we we do, do go, the yeah. tennis ball thing. Okay, if my wife had never seen, for some bizarre reason, had never seen When Harry Met Sally. So we watched When Harry Met Sally, and uh, it's still absolutely terrific. And it brings me once again to mind of how, even though I quite like a lot of his movies. That whole um, Joe DePato approach to comedies has kind of killed the... Uh... <laughs> Every time you say his name like that, I think it's some African guy. Why? Judd jo- DePato. It's Judd DePato. Judd Apatow. Right? Judd Apatow. Is it Apatow or Apatow? Jew Apatow. Okay, there you go. You nailed it. Jew Appetite. Yeah, um, Jew Appetite. Yeah, uh, that whole improvised approach to comedy has kind of killed the excellent comedy screenplay. The tight, the tight 90-minute rom-com by way of Rob Reiner. Who wrote that film? Uh, Nora Ephron. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it, but it was a, 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 I went on a bit of a deep dive on it. Um, it was inspired by Rob Reiner having gotten recently divorced and being a miserable shit. So Billy Crystal's character, Harry, is completely based on Rob Reiner. The concept of Rob Reiner dating doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen Rob Reiner. I have. Isn't he famous for uh, quitting smoking? Is he? I don't know. I just think of him as a bit of a sort of fat beardy. But hey, listen, if you're fat for beard, good on you. But not Rob Reiner. Yes. Anyone else, you're all good. But Reiner, yes. No. Um, what about uh, Rob Rhino? What about him? <laughs> that, just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had nothing there. <laughs> what he, else looks, a- he could be like a kind of African... God? Yes. <laughs> In a, like a Return of the Jedi kind of a way, yeah. Should I say my next thing? Go or on, are you done go with on. that? So I, I watched Three Identical Strangers. Are you familiar with that? The no. documentary? What's well, that? I, it's, it's an award-winning doc. I don't want to say much about it because it is a, a recommended blind watch. I'd, even giving away the concept is perhaps is this, ruining Is this the it. one about adoption? Yes. Ah, I, I've heard of this. <laughs> Okay, then. It's about adoption. It's about three triplets who were adopted, and they meet as adults. And they're remarkably similar. Yeah, they're exceptionally... They're triplets. But I mean mean as in their demeanor and their personalities. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole podcast... The podcast? Everything's a podcast now. The whole documentary, the film is about nature versus nurture, really. Yeah. But it goes into some some disturbing territory. So I'd recommend watching it. I've heard it mentioned on Sam Harris's podcast. Yeah, old Sam, if Sammy Harris likes it, you know it's good. Sammy H bomb, yes. Yeah. Well, whilst you watched anything else? Yes, uh, two more things. Oh god. Sorry. Okay, so I watched uh, Nobody, the um Oh yeah, what's his name? Better Call Saul. Heart attack movie. <laughs> yeah, the heart attack guy. <laughs> come on, Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. By the way, that was a, a come on at me, not at you. You're you're the type of person who would normally remember Bob Odenkirk. Oh, I just name. hadn't I hadn't even engaged my brain yeah, into yeah, yeah. remembering his name. Uh, it's fine. Johnny Heart Attacks. Wasn't a big no, no. I wasn't a big fan. I felt like because it's from the same crowd who produced um, John Wick. The, yeah, and I love those movies, and uh, from the same screenwriter. But there's something about the way they directed the action that just I didn't I didn't love. It's quite funny. It's a funny movie. I mean, how like, old is how old is Odin Kirk? Fifty five. Yeah, it's got to be up there. And he's doing like Liam Neeson's. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the geri- geriatrician pictures is what they're calling ah, them these okay. days. Yeah, is yeah. that what gave him a heart attack? Um, or was it? it was probably it's the funny, vaccine, actually, because right? I was... Um, I was listening to, after watching the film, I was listening to interviews about it, and the director was talking about, like, you know, what amazing energy Bob Odenkirk has, and you're just listening to it in hindsight, <laughs> just going, oh, God, well, that tank's about to get pretty low, you know? Um, I'm sure he's fine. So, couldn't give that one an all-out recommendation, but then last night, no, not last night, night before last, I uh, rewatched um Phantom Thread. Mm. because I, I read an interview with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson in Variety, and I was like, I feel like dipping back into that world. Um, and uh, I did, and, uh, well, what can I say? It's a terrific film that hasn't been said about it already. It's just um, fucking fantastic. It's a, it's a pity uh, Daniel Day-Lewis uh, retired from acting, but uh, Again. it's kind of understandable in that I have, like, I have explained that to you before my theory on acting, like, the top level of acting is you're so good at acting that you're actually insane. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely that. And just how into the character of Reynolds Woodcock he got, just, I mean, that... that <laughs> it's the best character name ever. It's unreal, isn't it? Uh, that can't have but made him totally <laughs> miserable. Um, what, doing all phantom threads and stuff? Yeah, you know, threading. Oh, there's a t- uh, the the best line in the movie is improvised by him as well. Did you know that? What does he say? She when they're having an, a rocky period, him and uh, Vicky creeps his creeps yeah. creeps when they're having like a rocky period. He's working in his room or when she- he's like running up some steps in Philadelphia. Is that the- <laughs> yes. sorry? <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Continue. Apologies. She takes him in some tea. And he's like, no, I don't want any tea. And um, she goes, what, like, and gets a bit uh, ratty with her. And then uh, she goes, fine, fine, I'll take the tea out. And he says, and this was improvised, he's like, oh, yes, the tea is going, but the interruption is staying right here with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely encountered, or I'm that person. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, that's one of the best things about (laughs) Phantom Thread is it's painful to watch. For a certain type of person, and I am that type of person. Not a brilliant fashion designer, just a cunt. Well, I'm a brilliant fashion designer. So. That's true. Did you, was there another one thing you watched? Uh, no, in fact, there was two other things I watched. The Thing from Another World and 1982's The Thing. Well, I watched that. I watched uh, The Thing from Another World. I watched 1982 Thing. I watched 2011 Thing. Which was your favorite? Well, before that, maybe we should talk a little about the original story, 1938's Who Goes There? Yes. Or Who Goes There? So you didn't or finish who it. Who Goes There? I didn't. I started the original story. It was written by John J. Campbell. That's correct. From the little of it that I probably read about the first 10 pages or so. And the first thing that struck me was like all the character names. I was like, this is the John Carpenter yes. thing. This is the actual story yes. because Thing from Another World, the 1951 adaptation, is not an is, adaptation. No, it's not. It's it takes so the, the, loosely. the 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 bare bones of the story and does something else with it. Yeah. Well, is there anything in the 1938 in the novella that's interesting or completely different to anything else that goes on? No, other than I mean, it's just. There, I, like, there this, are a this, shit this, ton of characters, right? There's yes, like 30-something yeah, yeah. people. This week, watching um, The Thing did reaffirm for me that it is just... It's one of my favorite movies ever. I, like, loved it. Um, but 
then to put it next to the story, it just it demonstrates to you the what the medium of cinema can do as opposed to writing because the story itself, the concept is there, but it's overwritten. Mm-hmm. It's overwritten to, to death. Uh, there are too many characters. Sorry to say, but J.J. Campbell might not have been the best short story writer in the world, but like as a concept, the concept is is brilliant. Yeah. And the movie brings it alive properly. The story, I couldn't recommend it too hard to anybody, to be honest. For, How many for pages completists is it? only. It's I mean it's a novella. It's not quite a short story. It's like a novella. Fifty pages yeah, or yeah. something. It's fifty pages, more or less. I had it on my Kindle and it was telling me that it would take me one hour to read it at my reading speed. <laughs> 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 don't know what that means. and you went fuck that and yeah, threw your like, kindle out the window an and played Who the witcher hour? yeah i can't be reading stuff give it put it into a pocket i should have uh, i should have listened to the audiobook that's what i should have done i just i can't focus on words it's hard you listen to me reading the plot synopsis of films it's clear that i can't read <laughs> <laughs> that's well, enough of a struggle i'm breezing through a, a bunch of <laughs> I made it my mission. I've decided to make it my mission to uh, because I recently got a Kindle and I'm amazed at how much faster I can read on it. Huh. So I'm I'm uh, making it my business to get through uh, everything Stephen King has ever written. The good thing about a Kindle is that it means all books forever are free, and you can just <laughs> you can have every book ever written with you at all times. Yeah, it was a. Uh... A rocky transition for me because I you were running come on. up some steps <laughs> because you were married to a, a mentally deficient lady. This is it, yeah, yeah, and you had a robot butler. That's Go exactly ahead. correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know uh, his director's cut of Rocky Four is going to edit out the robot butler. Damn, yeah, bastard. No, um, because I, <laughs> I'll admit it. I like books as furniture. I like having a house with books in it. I can see I'm staring at shelving units with books that appear to be organized alphabetically or autobiographically. They were alphabetical at one time. I think I think that order is lost From a little hell, bit. From hell, you've got that. That's, you've got some nice stuff up there. Yeah. You've got lots of classy books. What a waste of money. If you, with a Kindle, <laughs> all of that is bit free, essentially. Or much cheaper. Or free. <laughs> or free, yes. <laughs> So there's not much more to say about who goes there. No, who goes not there? really. Well, then, I guess we should talk about The Thing from Another World, the 1951 Howard Hawks-produced film. It's not great, is it? I was surprisingly engaged watching it, considering, I mean, first of all, it's about 80 minutes long, yes. which is, for me, that's like Oscar nomination. <laughs> right there. That's Best Picture winner material. There's a, there's clear limitations of time and budget. The characters yes. are reasonably well defined. Good female character for the era, no? Yeah, she's quite. Uh, she's 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 got moxie. She, she has got moxie. I knew <laughs> after the last episode, I knew that moxie was going to appear. And I'll say again, she's full of spunk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, it's a bit. It's obviously. I think the monster, the thing itself, is very weak compared to the original story and to the Carpenter version. Yes. Because the, I think without being able to replace or mimic people, without that, that, that mimicking element, it doesn't really work. The story suffers. 
it's then it's just a kind of, it's just an alien invasion flying saucer men from mars type thing rather than this story of mistrust and suspicion that you get from the carpenter film it reminded me an awful lot of uh, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Have you ever seen that? Is that a, it's around the same time as well, right? Yeah. I think yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. few things that came, there's a few sort of alien invasion things that came around this time when this was big on people's minds, flying saucers, etc. Have you seen the documentary that came out last year, The Phenomenon? No. no. You should watch it. Aliens are real. It convinced me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. About 30 minutes into the documentary, I'm like, okay, so it's real. Well, yeah, I, I don't doubt that there's other, there's, I don't doubt that the truth is out there. Were you an X-Files Fox fan? Mulder. Not hugely. There's some great episodes of the X-Files. Yes. I didn't watch every single episode. And by the time Robert Patrick came on board, I was like, I don't give a shit. But yeah. there are some amazing I would episodes. go as far as to say the X-Files it was probably the first really cinematic TV show. Mm, they definitely spent a lot of money on it. And there's some great stories in there. Considering they're all like monster of the week type things. Yeah. Obviously there was overarching plot as well over seasons, but Did you watch the um the comeback miniseries a couple of years ago? No. Oh, well, five I, I'm years not ago that now. into the X Files. God, it was very bad. It okay. was very, very bad. There are some kind I mean, this the thing from another world has inspired so many things of the X definitely episodes of things like the X Files. But also the biggest problem with it is that the the monster is like a super carrot. I think they refer to it as a super carrot. It's literally plant do, yeah. based. It reminds me of the broccoli thing from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, the final <laughs> episodes, the creeping moss from the shores of Shoggoth. It does have that element of you're like making it plant-based you're like really a were you ever cabbage? spooked at any moment in the no the because movie? it looks so it looked really really bad it's a the the main actor who well the the actor who played the monster is a guy from gunsmoke he's just a big tall guy in a suit again without the ability to mimic or like all of the good elements that john carpenter introduced um, like Rob Rob Bottin's uh, makeup work of the monster, mm. just even now, some bits of the 1980s version look a bit silly. But some, but, but most but of it some looks of it, great. I think, I think its movement is often a problem. Some of the parts look a bit Evil Dead of how things are moving, but some of it, yeah, some of the VFX and that just are are amazing. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So thing from another world, I. Th- thought it was okay i considering it's almost 40 sorry 70 years old it is 70 years old at this point well i, I thought park it, was, it i thought it was fine i'd park it directly in this in the um camp of uh invasion of the body snatchers just because mm-hmm. it's like a you're watching it kind of going uh this could have just been an episode of the twilight zone no bother right you know mm-hmm. um it doesn't really have a raison d'etre cinema Raisins. Mm. Raisins. Detras. Yeah. Anything else to say about Thing from Another World? No, not quite. I mean, I'm glad I've seen it, uh, which is the worst thing I can probably say about yeah. an old movie. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a piece of history. I mean, this, this film was interpreted as being about the threat of communism, but I see that way more in the 1982 version. And in, and in the short It's there in the 1982 the, version. The it's just, but it's like... I like I th- I find it mo- much more existential than that. Mm-hmm. It's not just quite about uh, communism and, and and stuff. One thing I will say is, I feel like 
is from the in the thing from the other world from thing from another world is that where the cliche of watch the skies came from i think so yeah towards the end keep, watching, that's the the end, keep watching the sky scotty the says it yeah i think so that might be the origin of that so you didn't watch the 2011 thing i've seen it before oh you've seen it before yeah oh, okay well that's enough but that's i didn't watch fine. it this week because i remember uh frankly really disliking it I wanted to dislike it more than I did. I think it's almost a good movie. It's almost it's almost okay. I think the biggest limitations rewatching the 1982 thing, I think some of the biggest limitations placed on it were the fact that it serves as a direct prequel and you know, so you've got like you've got this group of characters and one of them doesn't speak English. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, he obviously survives to the end because I know what happens in the 1982 thing, so he's going to be in the helicopter chasing the dog. Because he speaks English. No, because he doesn't he speak doesn't English. Speak he's the English. only character there. He only speaks Norwegian. He doesn't speak English. So oh, okay, you know that he's going to survive to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, things like that, or like uh, they match the sets of how the alien burst out. Things like, uh, uh, Those are the worst parts, when the alien bursts out of the ice block. I don't know if you remember that. It just comes flying out. Yeah, almost it, vertical. It, yeah, it, it, absolutely. It goes up through into the next floor of the of the like house building thing, and it looks ridiculous. It looks really, really bad. I mean, the the big the main criticisms of this were that they used a lot of excellent practical effects, which the studio balked at after test screenings, and so they went in and and basically CG'd everything. Over really? Yeah. Oh, that must have been a, such a it bummer was, so, for the filmmakers. So after the whole uh, Snyder cut, there's been a lot of people kind of using a similar hashtag of release the pilot cut of the thing, the practical VFX Who made version. it? It's a guy called Matisse Evenhugensplergens. Swedish? No, nah, it's supposed to be Dutch. His name is... Uh, Matisse Van Heenigen uh, Jr. My name is Matisse Van Heenigen Jr. And has he made anything else? He has. He's made another film which I uh, got from my. I I borrowed from uh, Roddy McDowell's collection. <laughs> he made a film called The Forgotten Battle last year, which is a, a Dutch World War II film that's got Tom Felton in it, Draco Malfoy. And it's supposedly quite good. Bit on the nose as a title, isn't it? The Forgotten Battle yeah. is about the battle of <laughs> the battle of the shite, <laughs> or is it Shelt? It's, it can't be shite. It's got to be Shelt <laughs> in 1944. Is that an I or an L? Let That's me guess. That. Not That's a lot of people L. know about this battle. Has yeah. it been forgotten? Four Dutch people died. No, I don't know. I'm sure it was. A, I'm sure it was a horrible, <laughs> brutal. I'm sorry, Holland. Uh, yeah, but apparently it's quite good. I think it's it's available on Netflix allegedly. So hold he's on. In the Netherlands. Hold on. So he's done very, very little. He hasn't really had a lot of op- uh, a lot of opportunities. Is it worth my while going watching this? No, if you've you've already seen it, so don't rewatch it. That's fine. I think, as I say, it's it's almost good. I really wanted to dislike it. I wanted I, I wanted to hate it. Mm. Like early on in the film, they encounter a thing and it runs away and they they kill it. And I w- my reaction was like, oh, this is just stupid. Why have they revealed this so early? But then they kind of bring it back around and there is a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of, 
there is a lot of uh, tension throughout. It works quite well. I remember You've... I was seeing a lady at the time, and uh, she was describing this movie to me. Um, she was describing the, the thing, the new the thing, and uh, saying how interesting she found it and cool or whatever. And I remember instantly in my head going, "Oh, I dislike you now because you don't know about the <laughs> actual the thing." It has it has a good cast. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton are solid. Winstead is basically Ripley or playing like the kind of female Kurt Russell part. Uh, you've got Kai Proctor from Banshee. He's in it. Tormund from Game of Thrones. They're both in it, playing Norwegians. Kai Proctor. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, you know yes, Kai yes, Proctor, yes, the, yes, yes, the, yes, yes. the main guy from the... The guy who used to be in um, the Amish community. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's the baddie in Banshee or, yeah. Anti-hero. Yes, we'll call him that. Or Uncle Hero. Uh, the biggest issue for me is probably like it, it's how nonchalant everyone is about discovering this alien which then escapes. But then re-watching the 1982 film, they're all sort of similarly kind of come to grips with the whole thing quite quickly. Um, but they, they I, I mean, in the 2011 version... Yes and no. I thought, like, the, one, of the, my, one of my favorite things about the 1982 one, I haven't rewatched it, was how chaotic it is. Yeah. It's fucking ben- madness. Like, everybody's in a panic. It is. But watching the 2011 one, it feels like all the characters have already watched the 1982 thing, <laughs> even though that takes place afterwards. It feels like they're like, yeah, 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 we know what's going to happen. We've already seen it. That's my biggest criticism of the thing is it feels like something like Prometheus in terms of how stupid the characters are at times. Oh, no, that's very bad. Not as bad as that. Not as bad as that. But there's just, I don't know. Again, as I say, they're so fucking nonchalant about the whole thing. Prometheus still bums me out for that reason. It could have been so much better. What about the one after that? I thought that was worse. What's that Alien Covenant. Yeah, Covenant. I thought that was bad. It's got Danny McBride and James Franco in it. (laughs) Um, I thought that was not a good film at all. No, I did. I I thought it was fine. Um, I thought that was worse. I do think Prometheus was better, yeah. Um, Michael Fassbender says in... Yeah, the whole wank me off. What's that whole thing? The no, fingering. Says, oh, yeah, yeah, fingering. I'll do the fingering. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer to remember it as wank me off. <laughs> so I remember that. My God, how expendable is McBride going into that film? Yes, he's comic relief. <laughs> Kill him. So the 1982 thing, we're there. We oh made my it. God, I love it, I love it, I love it. Like I thoroughly enjoyed watching this. How many times do you think you've seen it? Five, six. Yeah, me too, easily. Uh, this was the film that I put off watching. Uh, of, of the three films, this is the one I watched last, just because I've, I realized I've seen it so many times. I still obviously enjoy it, but I've, I know this film back to front. Well, I get a real buzz generally watching a John Carpenter film because I love the way he makes movies. I think he makes movies like... I think. He, more than any other director I can think of, I think you can sense that he's a real fan of cinema when you're watching his films. Um, and I think this is this is I I do think this is his masterpiece. Maybe next to Halloween, but Halloween is his demonstration of what he can do with no money. And there, clearly, there's um, money on the screen here. And this one also, this one also has the kind of um, a bit of a, an apocalypse now vibe off of it because of all the background story to do with it. And the fact, the bizarre fact that it it was 
really hated. People hated this. They movie. really did. They did not like it. It's, it's been bizarre. critically reappraised over the years. But like to to go back and read some of those reviews, it's it, now Carpenter himself. I listened to the audio commentary after um, watching it, which you can you can find that on YouTube. Uh, it's actually a, as audio commentaries go, it's it's really good. Uh, him and Kurt Russell, you can tell that they're you know quite good mates, uh, and they're just smoking cigarettes, drinking whiskey. It's you know you can hear glass uh, clinking around, and they're just uh, going through the movie bit by bit, and you can just kind of, you can tell how much affection they have for it, but they are, like, every so often they'll address the elephant in the room that people fucking despised it. And Carpenter more or less states several times over the course of the commentary that his final analysis is that it just, just people weren't ready for something this bizarrely gory. Gory, nihilistic. It came out at the same time as E.T. Yes, he which, blames E.T. as well. Yeah, people wanted something a bit more positive. It was also released at the same time as Blade Runner, another thing that flopped. Yes. And, well, yeah, and you could say that director's previous film, Alien, um, more or less gave them the permission to do the thing, I would say. Mm-hmm. I will we- say as well, uh, I do think Alien is probably a better film than this. Um, yeah, I would rather watch Alien. Of the two. But they're they're riffing on a similar enough theme, which is like, you know, put it in contrast to the thing from another world. It's like, uh, well, what, a, what if the characters in a science fiction were realistic characters? That's kind of what they're going for, I, I feel. Well, they're going for a number of things, but that's, that's out front, I would say. Uh, one of the other reasons that Carpenter reckons this got so lambasted is because of affection for the original thing from another world. Which, which is, is insane. Yeah, which is nuts. Yeah, he got shit off of the makers of the 1951 Yeah, film. I saw that. Yeah, they were saying, like, oh, you don't need to do that. It's gory. I imagine that's how they said it. It's too gory. So, yeah, I guess people just weren't ready for that level. Those robot and special effects are mad. He was around 22 years old, the what? makeup artist. Yeah. He's uh, retired. The last thing he did was Game of Thrones. He did makeup on things like Seven. I remember those the horrible of the the sloth, ah, the, yeah, the guy yeah. in the bed. Uh, yeah, he's a great, great, great makeup artist. Obviously, but he was he was basically a child during the thing because he'd, he'd worked on the he'd worked on the fog prior to that with uh, Carpenter with old Johnny Carps. But yeah, I think uh, when I think about the thing, I can't. It's hard for me to pinpoint exactly why it works. I got, I, I, I I got can... theories. The thing gets across this energy, which is that oftentimes when you're watching a film, you're able to say to yourself what you would do in the situation. And I think the thing does effectively get across that energy where you're going, I don't know what the fuck I would do in this situation. And everybody is acting like that. Everybody's panicking. Like, when they turn against MacReady in, in the film, mm-hmm. it actually makes sense, even though MacReady's our, our hero. Yeah. Like, I get it. Exactly. I totally get why they would do it. You said they, they take it a little bit nonchalantly. I don't think they do. I think everybody looks like they're having a panic attack the whole way mm-hmm. through. Yeah, it's much wor- Like it's definitely worse than the 2011 version. And that is one reason I think it really clicks and, and uh, get, gets you into it. I think... Uh, there are two ver- there are two particularly memorable 
special effects moment. Um, I the uh, belly chomp. Yeah, and uh, the spider head. Yes, probably more than that, but those two are are quite iconic. I that think. that spider head first, it kind of it's melting off of the body. The yeah. head is sort of it's oh, disgusting. That, it's so gross, it's dripping off the body, and then it sprouts spider legs and walks away. And everyone has like a that's a funny moment. Everyone turns around and just looks at it. And I think one of the characters is it it's Palmer or like Windows is like what the hell when the dog's head opens up is quite oh, iconic that, as well. That was the, uh, that was one of the special effects shots I think had doesn't hold up that well. Just after Carpenter his head opens with up, you. yeah, just after the head opens up and it it sprouts those kind of mm. spaghetti style tentacle things that come flying out. That movement around there just it looks a bit bad now, but of course it's. 40 years so well carpenter totally would agree with you well, on that me he, and him are very close <laughs> there you go i i think you've got those two things to, to make it work the iconic effects things. and the, the general energy and also i think uh kurt russell and keith david they'll get you over the finish line yes they certainly yeah they get me over the finish line every time also ennio morricone doing a john carpenter impression right and then isn't that odd and then Carpenter filled in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a bunch of music from Ennio Morricone and then realized, like, oh, shit, there's spaces here. So he just did some uh, some very simple synth stuff to fill it in. It's a great... I mean, most of the score is just dum dum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, dum, I mean, that's dum. it. But Ennio Morricone is dum, doing John Carpenter. Dum. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lovely piece of work. Maybe I'll listen to that on the way home and, and look at people with suspicion. <laughs> I do that anyway. Oh, and also, yeah, fine. And one more thing. Uh, that iconic sequence when they're tes- testing the blood. Yes. That's fantastic. It's great fun. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is great fun. There's a similar, similar sequence in the 2011 thing, which is checking inside people's mouths to see if they have uh, fillings. Because in the 2011 version, it's, it's canon that the, the thing is not able to replicate metal. It can only replicate organic material. So they do. If they basically they're like checking to see if anyone has fillings or not, and it works reasonably well. It's not as good as the blood, but still, it's pretty solid. It goes on for a bit longer, and it's basically uh, Winstead telling people to like get over there, you fuck. You've got good teeth. I love that for a plot structure. That um, McCready just goes, uh, "Well, I know I'm not the thing." Yeah. So fuck you. That Carbs. that would be a good reveal to be the thing in that case. Well, th- it, that's one of the things they go into in the audio commentary. They're like, they kind of say we had discussions upon discussions upon discussions, and they actually came to the conclusion that if you were the thing, you wouldn't know it. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that. That's right. So. The characters, when you're the thing, you don't know you're the thing until you, like, fucking your head bursts open. Or you do a belly chomp. Yes. Respect. The belly chomp is still a great moment. Yeah, because he's using the defibrillator, mm. uh, which must be quite annoying for the thing getting shocked. And so it decides to open up its open up the stomach and bite off the guy's hands. Yeah, it's just, it's terrific, like. Yeah. Still works. For me, anyway. There's also, like, I was waiting for it to happen, and when it happened, I wasn't disappointed. Yeah. All those moments are good. Uh, the blood scene of Palmer kind of just starts shaking in his chair. and then, Yes. And then bites off the other guy. Whose head does he bite? Windows? I can't remember. 
I don't know, but that's just bizarre. Your man is upside down. Yeah. <laughs> it's good fun. It's, it is. It's very good fun. There's some good deaths. Uh, big cast in this one. There certainly is. I'm trying to see if there's anything else to talk about. We've mentioned the writer of the, the film before, the screenplay. You remember? It was written by Bill Lancaster, son of Bert. What, uh, what other film did he write? No idea. Bad News Bears. Ah. Carpenter did plenty of writing on it as well, but uncredited. Yeah, he wrote, uh, apparently before that, it was going to be uh, a romantic comedy until Carpenter rewrote it. <laughs> right. In the cast, we've got too many people in the cast, so yes. I've, I've got one piece of trivia for each person. Okay, let's do it. Kurt Russell is R.J. McCready. Great. Beautiful, yeah. a beautiful specimen. Oh, he's just what a lovely I, man. I fucking love Kurt Russell. That's him in his prime. He just looks the he's business, just, just absolute an, business. The voice on him, yeah. He's like, oh, I, I could, I'd watch him in anything. Well, here's your trivia. In 1966, the last thing Walt Disney wrote were the words "Kurt Russell" on a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good trivia, right? I'll give you some trivia. Go. Uh, as a teenager, he was in a film set in Ireland, which featured him playing the Irish sport known as hurling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they filmed it in the place where I went to secondary school, St. Flannan's College in Ennis. Yeah, he was a child star. And then he had like a 10-year contract with Disney. He went, he went off and played baseball for a period, like his father, I think, played yeah. baseball. And then finally... Not long before the thing, he kind of got back into acting, got into films. Um, and of course, his son, Wyatt Russell, played ice hockey to a reasonably high level before really? getting into acting. Yeah. And now he's doing pretty well for himself. He was the, in yeah. the, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's right. Um, yeah, he was, uh, what's Cap- his name? Fake, Bad fake Captain, America. Captain America. Quentin Tarantino uh, credits... Kurt Russell for giving him most of the lore that uh, makes up the background story in his novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. He said uh, Kurt Russell told him told him loads of Hollywood stories. Yeah, that does have a real Kurt Russell vibe. That film. And uh, once again, if I could recommend it to people, like uh, on um, the audio commentary for the thing, he's just you know he's a good time. He's full of stories. Good laugh. A good old, and he's married to Goldie Hawn and has that's been right. forever. Oldie Hawn, uh, that's and uh, Kate Hudson thinks of of him as her father. That's he's right, not no biologically. No, let's be let's be clear <laughs> and put that out there. That. Let's dead name that relationship. Yeah. Wilford Brimley, the legend, played Blair as a young man. Brimley worked as a bodyguard for Howard Hughes. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going for the the weirdest, most obscure trivia I can get for people. There you go. Wilfred Brimley, of course, uh, famously is the person that people measure age against. There's some kind of, I don't know what it's called exactly. What? So one, one second. There's a Brimley cocoon uh, line calculator. When cocoon reached theater, theaters on June 21st, 1985, Wilfred Brimley was 50 years old. 50 years, nine months, and six days. So every time someone crosses this line and becomes 50 years, nine months, and six days of age, there is a, a Twitter account called at Brimley Line, which uh, tells you when that has happened. For example, the person who most recently crossed the line is Denise Richards, who's now 50 years old. I mean, Rob, she's uh, probably still tidy, Rob is she? Rob Corddry has just, Michael C. Hall 
very recently. These are a bunch of people. Gary Barlow from Take That is now uh, the same age as Wilford Brimley in Cocoon. God, the internet's Quest, bizarre, Quest isn't Love. it? Who, who else is this? Sean Wayans. Remember him? Corn singer Jonathan Davies. Well, the thing is, because when we talked about this, we talked about this so frequently. I don't think she does look good. We talked about this. <laughs> this is something that we've talked about so many times, which is how rough people in the past looked. Yes. They look awful. Yes. Wilford Brimley looked so much older than he actually was because nowadays you've got people what his age. What is that about? People his age are, are action stars. I don't know. He, I think he was one of those people that just looked old. No, I but can't I mean, like, even he was people like you and body. me, Andy. <laughs> Why do we look not as old as we, him? Like we, uh, I've got 10 ab- years abused until, I crossed our, that, until I crossed the, the Brimley line. Like, abused our systems heavily all through our 20s, you your 30s also. And uh, you look much better than uh, this Brimley character. I assume he was just eating lead paint or something. <laughs> it, it must be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he, he helped with the cleanup at Chernobyl. or I don't know what they were doing. Like, this. if you or I knew anybody of our age bracket that looked like Gene Hackman, we'd be, I presume we'd be having a little conversation with them. I do know. When I meet friends like school friends, when we meet up, there's some people I went to school with who do look like Gene Hackman. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just, I think, because they've lived like really sedentary lives and not done anything. Do you think that's the problem? Well, and they've eaten and drank like shit and not exercised ever. But there's a a certain age, there's an aging that happens if you stay doing the same thing forever, I think. A mental aging, which might also manifest physically. Wow, that's an interesting point. There's no evidence for this. No, 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 no. But it is scientific fact. No, I think that's a really interesting observation, though. I think you might be right, too. I've seen it. I've seen people age just from not doing anything interesting or expanding their mind. Whereas me, I'm out doing ayahuasca every night. (laughs) (laughs) And then vomiting. Saying hi to Tim Ferriss around the campfire. That kind of crack, yeah. That's correct. Okay, moving on, we've got T.K. Carter, who played Knowles, Knowles, the roller skating chef. On June 13th, 1990, Carter was arrested after refusing to answer officers' questions and babbling incoherently. He resisted being arrested and was tasered three times. That's the most interesting thing in his biography. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, T.K. Carter, my (laughs) my favorite thing I saw by that is... uh, Stand-up comedian Franklin Ajay, Franklin Ajay, I think it's pronounced. He's a, a black stand-up from the 70s. He auditioned for the role, but when he went into the meeting, he basically just went on at them about how much of a stereotype the character was, and they told him to leave. So he, he just went in and gave them shit for it being so such a stereotypical character. Jesus. And then they told him to exit the building. So... T.K. Carter got the job instead as Knowles. I thought he was fine. He's yeah. Pretty good. How did he bite the bullet again? Oh, yeah. He's the uh, the last one to die at the hands of the thing, isn't he? Mm. David Clannon is Palmer. David Clannon is a big anti-war advocate. In 2013, he repeatedly spoke out against the film Zero Dark Thirty and refused to vote for it for an Academy Award, stating that it promotes the acceptable use of torture. Yeah, I've heard that opinion about Zero Dark Thirty before. I also heard somebody make a fairly convincing argument that it just... Um, doesn't it show that torture doesn't work? 
No, they get. Is it to... sure the torture does work? Yes, but it. But at at what cost? Does it not? Sh- I feel like it shows the the costs of that. Well, they kind of take a line for a walk with it with that film, as in with the truth. It starts out in quite a truthful place and then just goes in bizarre directions. I can't remember where I like. I heard a a podcast breaking down why it was uh, kind of an unforgivable adaptation of that story. Yeah. I enjoyed the film. It's Me not, too. It's not I, something I ever really feel like going back and watching now. I think I've I think I've watched that like two or three times. Mm. It's quite long. It is long. Keith David. The yes. Legend, ass to ass. That's true. When asked in an interview if he was a religious man, David said, "I'm not a religious man. I'm a man of spirit. Religion can get political." I believe in God and spirit. I believe in church. <laughs> I've been baptized. I've gone to Catholic, Baptist, Episcopal, and Church of God in Christ. That's him saying he's not a religious man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a religious man. I'm the most religious man who's ever lived. <laughs> Just trying to picture Keith David saying it. Uh... And also saying ass to ass at the same time. Uh... I'm not a religious man. Although, I am God. He doesn't say ass to ass, as we've covered on this podcast before. No, he doesn't. The guy who says ass to ass is is uh, credited in Requiem for a Dream as Mr. Ass to Ass or Ass to Ass Man. I can't remember. <laughs> that's his job. That's his name. Which might Respect. be the best IMDb credit ever. Yeah. Uh, maybe after a woman who pisses herself from right, threads. threads. Yeah. Uh-huh. We've mentioned that before. Okay, we've got Richard Dysart as Dr. Copper. He's best known for his role as Leland McKenzie in the television series LA Law, which ran from 1986 to 1994, for which he won a Primetime Emmy Award from four consecutive nominations. Have you, like, is LA Law a, th- a thing that you're even no, familiar with? No, That was, when I was a kid. Not even slightly. When I was a kid, that was huge. That was the go-to. Mine was drama. would have been more uh, the practice. Right, that's yeah, that, Kelly m- that means nothing to me. Really? Yeah. yeah. L.A. Law was like was the big drama of the late eighties, early nineties. That was like it was a solid show. I was a bit too young to really get it, mm. but it, I remember at the time it was a, a well-respected. It wasn't like a shitty thing. It was a well-respected drama. That would have been the year also of uh, NYPD Blue, no? Yeah, NYPD Blue started a little after that. Like, I mean, during when Ellie when Law was on, but yeah. Okay, next we've got Charles Hallahan, who played Norris. Uh, <laughs> on November 25th, 1997, he died of an apparent heart attack while driving his car in Los Angeles. <laughs> There's nothing interesting about that, except November 25th, died on the same day as... Your birthday? Jack, no, but Jack Albertson, the day before my birthday. Who's Jack Albertson? Uh, Grandpa Joe from Willy <laughs> Wonka, from the previous episodes. You only get these if you listen to every episode. So Jack Albertson died also on November 25th, <laughs> 1981. This is all part of a, this is some kind of cult going on here. There was nothing interesting about Charles Hallahan. I'm sorry. The most interesting thing about him was that he died. That he was in the thing. He died of a heart attack while driving his car. That's got to be a bad way to go, to have a heart attack while you're driving. Or maybe it's great. Maybe that's the dream. <laughs> it doesn't say whether he smashed into anyone. So maybe he, he stopped no, the let's, car and The died. most interesting thing about most of the people in this film is that they were in the thing. Yeah, well, okay. Peter Maloney, who played Bennings, he was in Requiem for a Dream with Keith, with, with Keith David. He was playing Dr. Pill. That- How on the nose is that, that the doctor who gives Ellen Burstyn those pills is called Dr. Pill? 
fairly on that the nose. That makes me not like it. That makes I'm not me a think, fan of the film. I enjoyed Requiem for a Dream. I don't know if enjoyed is the correct word, but there was a, there was <laughs> yeah, a period. No, I, there was a period where I really liked living in the misery of that film. Yeah, yeah. No, there, I think that and a, a Australian film I watched last year called Snowtown, Snowtown. Mm. are the, the they're the only two films I can think of that I wouldn't one thousand percent never watch again. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna fire through the last ones because we're running out of time. So we've got Richard Masur as Clark, Clark rather, the guy who looked after the dogs. He was the 24th president of the Screen Actors Guild <laughs> <laughs> from 1995 to 99. He's good in the movie. Yeah, he, and he was maybe a good president of of SAG. <laughs> who knows? Donald Moffat is Gary. He's actually English. He was born in Plymouth, served in the British Army, and trained at RADA. He was an English man. There, there you go. You go. John Polis as Fuchs. He appeared in a recurring role in the television series Cheers as the mischievous Gary, owner of the rival bar, Gary's Old Town Tavern. Did you watch much Cheers? Uh, no. Yeah, you're too young for that. I watched all that. Tom Waits. Thomas Waits. Not Tom Waits. Thomas Waits. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. To be clear, different spelling. Who played Windows. Uh, he was uh, Henry Stanton in Four Seasons of Oz. Do I need to go back and watch Oz? I want to... I watched, I've been thinking about it in the I've last couple of years. I've been thinking about it frequently. I constantly think about being in a prison. <laughs> but I remember watching bits of it when I was a kid or when I was a teenager. I remember it being excessively disturbing. It is disturbing, extremely dark, nihilistic. It's not a fun time. So, yeah, I think I might watch it. <laughs> I think I might, I might watch that. I, like, if... <laughs> If if nothing else, it would be good to just remind myself why prison would not be a good thing. Yeah, there's a lot of rape. I yeah, yeah, it's the, it's, a, it's the rape. It's, it's rape. If heavy. you took like if there was no rape in prison, I don't think I'd be be a, f- be a, a, a gay old time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a good time. Right then, the plot. There's a thing, and it kills everyone. That's it. Nice. In Antarctica, a Norwegian helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The Americans witness the Norwegian passenger accidentally blow up the helicopter and himself. Oh, yeah, that's a silly moment. <laughs> Throw it, he takes one of those hand grenade yeah. type things and he throws it behind. Really? You're going to throw the grenade thing behind yourself? That's quite a silly moment. But that is bad. Them chasing the dog, like as an, in, as, it's an, a great as an exciting yeah. uh, moment to open your movie, yeah. it's fucking fantastic. It is good. You're just like, these people are shooting a dog. It could be anything at that point. Anything. Uh. The pilot shoots at the dog and shouts at the Americans, but they cannot understand him because they're ignorant. They're ignorant. They can't speak Norwegian like I can. Um, You know, that was just gobbledygook. Those actors were... um, They weren't speaking Norwegian. No, no, they're American actors, and they were just made up the dialogue. That's horrendous. That That is bad. That is is bad news. There you go. That's good trivia now, huh? So they cannot understand him because he's not speaking a real language <laughs> and he's shot dead in self-defense by station commander Gary. Good old Gary. The Some of the gun work in this has not aged well. That's one criticism. On. Just the shooting of guns. It's not very Alec Baldwin. I, I prefer a bit more realism. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks a bit dodgy. Good God. It doesn't look very good. It's, it's, a woman it's died, a bit, Andy. I, I'm, not, I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying that I, I'm not suggesting that people should die while you're filming <laughs> shooting, but it shouldn't look like a fucking pop gun. It just doesn't look very... It, it looks Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I do. I, I There's a level of realism in firing guns now that, well, sometimes too much. 
but this this hasn't aged well. It's one aspect that hasn't aged well. That's all I'm saying. The American helicopter pilot R.J. McCready and Dr. Copper leave to investigate the Norwegian base. Among the charred ruins and frozen corpses, they find the burned remains of a malformed humanoid, which is just a typical Norwegian, which they <laughs> recover to the American station. That looks great. Yeah, all of that stuff looks great. But this is what I'm saying about the 2011 thing is everything, they, they're so bound by the 1982 version that they're like, okay, we need to explain why there's a thing with two heads fused together. That becomes a that becomes like a plot point, and the way that they in the, the 1982 version, how they find everyone on on that base, is how they leave everything in the 2011 version. Wow, because if, so if ever there's a film together. where you don't need lore, it's the thing. Absolutely, no. So they I should mean, have just it... made a side story, or they should have made a even a sequel, or a completely different story. Actually, a they completely are, different story. I think would have been well. There, there's, there's supposedly going to be a Bloomhouse thing coming out at some point. The uh, Carpenters involved. Mm. There's, I don't know if it's a remake, if it's a sequel. What is also have Carpenter? Have you watched the, new, the David Gordon Green Halloween movies? Only the first one. I, I've got Halloween Kills ready to go. I was not a fan. Yeah, I heard it's Shiite. No, no, but not of Halloween Kills of the first one. I, I didn't mind the first one. I thought it was alright. Well, it's just like it's an action movie. Yes. Yeah, it's not Halloween. No, it's not Halloween. Halloween has been many things over the over the years. No, Halloween has only been one thing. It is the original 1979. Oh, yeah, so you're not counting all the I remember fuck going that. to the no, cinema. I watched ha- I watched Halloween H2O in the Me cinema. Me too. And fuck that. that. Means water. It is not good. Well, H2O as Halloween sequels go isn't the worst one? Definitely not. No. The computer game, the game that came out for PS2 in the early 2000s. Uh, John Carpenter is an avid gamer. He considers that as canon, also the video game. Yeah, there's a bunch of things like a bunch of things like that that he says are basically canon. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't like that though. Uh, What's his feelings about the 2011 version? Uh, he, I don't know. I can't remember if he thinks it's a big pile of shite or not. But I imagine he's not huge, huge fan. So they recover this malformed humanoid. Their biologist, Blair, performs autopsies on the remains and finds a normal set of human organs. That is disgusting. Yes. It's taking It's very... And you can see Wilfred Brimley's face going like... Bleh. It's all um, uh, pig liver. Mm. Clark kennels the sled dog and it soon metamorphoses... Met, not metamorphosizes? Metamorphoses and absorbs the station dogs. This disturbance alerts the team, and Childs uses a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. That was one of the moments um, that Carpenter zeroes in on in the commentary for saying maybe this was one of the reasons people hated it, is the dog scene. Yeah, yeah. well, that dog should have been incinerated. It was a fucking... It was a thing. A mutt. Blair autopsies the new creature. Autopsy is a verb? Blair autopsies the new creature and learns that it can perfectly imitate other organisms. Recovered Norwegian data leads the Americans to a large excavation site containing a partially buried Aryan, alien Aryan spacecraft, <laughs> a partially buried, buried or buried alien spacecraft, and a smaller human-sized dig site. This was another, I'm going to say, problem with the 2011 version is that they Mary, make it all about the ship. Yeah, they uh, there's at least a 20 20 minute section towards the end of the film where they enter the ship and get yeah. into a fight there. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember thinking, this is this just doesn't work. It's not interesting. You know that scene where uh, 
yeah, Blair discovers the nature of the beast and does all his calculations on the computer. Yeah, that's the funniest thing. <laughs> I think he's got a he's got a program that can say yes, assimilation will occur at this point. Well, a big complaint that people had at the time or was they were they legitimately were saying technology like that will never exist. That's stupid. <laughs> well, they were right because there are no programs that will you can just enter the data and it says, "Yes, that's right. That's right, Blair. The humanity is doomed." I mean, surely, no, they... What, well, well, so you just asked Siri now? I mean, you could, it's just probability I know, now. I know, but I just mean, like, the ad, the way that it's presented is... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It looks a bit silly. It's like the um, I can't computer do that, in Dave. Uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Norris estimates that the alien ship has been buried for at least 100,000 years. Blair grows paranoid after running a computer simulation that indicates that the creature could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. The station implements controls to reduce the risk of assimilation. The malformed humanoid creature assimilates an isolated Bennings, but Windows interrupts the process and McCready burns the Bennings thing. Blair sabotages all the vehicles, kills the remaining sled dogs, and destroys the radio to prevent escape. The team imprisons him in a tool shed. Copper suggests a test to compare each member's blood against uncontaminated blood held in storage, but after learning that the blood stores have been destroyed... The men lose faith in Gary, and McCready takes command. Yeah, and it's uh, that that scene where um, he's destroying his office and everything. I quite like that. When does Blair become a thing? I think then. Is he already a thing at that point? Yeah. When they've so. locked him up. Yeah, because otherwise, when else did he? does he have the chance to be contaminated? See that scene early on where the dog, the sled dog is walking through the station and yeah. it goes into a room and there's like a silhouette of a guy and then it fades to black. Who yeah. is that? Blair, I would guess. Is it Blair? Yeah, because it's not, I don't think that's ever clearly identified. Because the thing you find out, which is quite surprising, is that, that Clark is human. Because he's the one who spends the most yes. time with the dogs, but then he's killed, and they do the test on his blood, and it turns out that he was human after all. So McCready has murdered him, basically. Don't put your blame on him. It was McCready. He's a killer. He Baldwined him. McCready, Windows, and Knowles find Fuchs, burnt corpse, Fuchs' sake, and surmise he committed suicide to avoid some assimilation. Windows returns to base while McCready and Knowles investigate McCready's shack. On their return, Knowles abandons McCready in a snowstorm, believing he has been assimilated after finding his torn clothes in the shack. The team debates whether to allow McCready inside, but he breaks in and holds the group at bay with dynamite. During the encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack. Yeah. Which is fun times. Well, it's just great because, you know, I mean, how are you not going to be on Kurt Russell's side? You know? so Yeah, he's holding dynamite. He's got a flamethrower and dynamite. I'll listen to him. Yeah, no, but I mean, just in general, like... Everybody, like, when they turn against McCready, you as an audience member are are like, what? No, 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 yes. Okay, when he gets back a hold of the situation. The next is a fun part. As Copper attempts to defibrillate Norris, his chest transforms into a large mouth and bites off Copper's arms. Oh, that's such an awesome (laughs) sequence. Uh, McCready incinerates the Norris thing, but its head detaches and attempts to escape before also being burnt. Still looks good, the, those prosthetics. Does. All look good. All yeah. that stuff is very effective. It is disgusting and creepy Absolutely gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McCready's forced to kill Clark in self-defense when the latter lunges at him from behind with a knife. 
He hypothesizes that the Norris thing's head demonstrated that every part of the thing is an individual life form of its own survival instinct. He has everyone tied up and sequentially tests blood samples with a heated piece of wire. Everyone passes the test except Palmer. But the way that they do that is really good, where he's talking to Gary. He says, like, we'll test you next, Gary. And then he goes, and puts it into Palmer's blood. And the thing just goes, Mm. and jumps out of the uh, the little Petri dish. And that's when Palmer starts fucking going, starts shaking. Everyone passes the test except Palmer, whose blood jumps from the heat. Exposed Palmer thing transforms, breaks free of its bonds, and infects windows. I like the cutting in that sequence. When someone passes the test, and then they're suddenly just next to McCready. Yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they've already taken off their ropes. Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair. They find that Blair has escaped and has been using vehicle components to assemble a small flying saucer. That's got to be like the shittiest. (laughs) (laughs) That's going nowhere. Where's he flying with that thing? Is he aiming for DC or something? It's funny, that bit. On their return, Childs is missing and the power generator is destroyed. MacReady speculates that the thing intends to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives. MacReady, Gary, and Knowles decide to detonate the entire station to destroy the thing. Mm. As they set explosives, Blair kills Gary and Knowles disappears. Transforming into an enormous creature, Blair Thing destroys the detonator. McCready triggers the explosives using a stick of dynamite, destroying the base. By that point, the effects aren't as nice for me. I'm that for me is the least interesting part of the film is that final fight against the Blair Thing. Totally agree. Like, ugh. Totally agree, but it does lean into also one the of the best part, endings ever. It's also the worst part of the 2011 film as well for me is the the flying saucer fight sequence against the against similarly. Like, yeah, I like remember being thing. similarly bummed out by that. But yeah, the it ending, leads into well, yeah one of the best endings ever. Creedy sits nearby as the station burns. Childs returns, saying he became lost in the storm while pursuing Blair. We don't know if that's true or Exhausted not. Exhausted and slowly freezing to death, they acknowledge the futility of their distrust and share a bottle of scotch. There were multiple versions of this ending. They also wanted yes, to right. shoot a more positive one where Kurt Russell they sh- uh, survives. They shot one where um, McCready is the thing mm-hmm. um, also. But I just think like that's, uh, that uh, uh, plot synopsis there doesn't quite capture the majesty of that final line. Yeah. Uh, where yeah, McCready just says, uh, let's just sit here for a while, see what happens. What a terrific ending, like. It is good. How do you read that? Do you you think neither of them are things and they're both just going to freeze to death? Yeah, sure. But I, for me, endings like that, (laughs) I think to discuss endings like that is actually missing the point, even though that's what they want you to do. Uh, It's like with the spinning top at the end of Inception. Right. The point is not what happened. The point is that you're going, what happened? You know what happened? Yeah, so uh, like I got a, a real red wagon. What? <laughs> what happened? That's uh, God. What film is that? It's one of the Christopher Guest. I have no idea what you're doing. You know what's that? Uh, it's might be a Mighty Wind or one of those. Is that the country music one. Yeah, it's it's either that one or the dog one, and it's what's his name who died? Best in show last year. Yeah, best in show. Fred Willard. He yeah. plays he plays this character who's looks kind of Chinese and he's like I was in a sitcom in the 1970s called What Happened and I had my catchphrase What Happened <laughs> <laughs> or my other catchphrase I got a wheel web wagon 
<laughs> I'll put that in the I'll put that in the show notes because it's just that scene alone of Fred Willard. Uh, whatever doing movie that you're character. talking about, it sounds like I need to watch yeah, it. That yeah, yeah, it's worth, it's worth watching. What happened? I do genuinely like I love Fred Willard in anything. Uh, Sadly, a friend of the show. Fred into the show. That's right. Uh, he's got what's it called? With Michael Siri, Youth and Revolt. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where he... Uh, That's a Kenneth Lonergan play, isn't it? I'm not sure. He takes off his um, he takes off his clothes in solidarity with a, a Mexican immigrant that they pick up. Respect. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but anyway, C. Dave, C. D. Payne, sorry. Youth and Revolt, Miguel Arteta film. I remember watching that one. But anyway, yeah. Uh, absolutely uh, terrific ending. I still love this movie, um, and uh, I, I don't know. Let's discuss the hate for a little bit. Why the fuck did this? You know, I've heard of films be slated unfairly before, but the sheer volume of hate for this is kind of bizarre. Well, nowadays it wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> I don't know. That's one very <laughs> funny thing about cable. That's one very funny thing about the audio commentary is Kurt Russell and John Carpenter often commenting how great it was that there was no women on set. <laughs> I'm assuming that even the people working behind the scenes were all men as well, I'm guessing. There was one uh, woman working with them when they were shooting on uh, the lot, but once oh, they right. went to Alaska, yeah, the because she was pregnant. Like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in L.A. they had uh, refrigerated sets. Yep. Which sounds fairly awful. And then they shot in Alaska and British Columbia. It was a really tough shoot. That de- that definitely comes across in the um, commentary. A really tough shoot. Apparently next year, there is a plan for a bunch of Thing fans to go to Canada. to the, British Columbia. Yeah, to the filming location. Huh. BC, yo. I will not be there. Me neither. But if you want to do that, there's a 2022 gathering of the Thing juggalos. When... Did it begin getting reassessed? I'm going to say at least when it came out on DVD in the late 90s, like 97, 98. At that point, certainly, when people got the opportunity. There must have been a long period of time where people couldn't readily access it that easily. I bought it. I had it on DVD. I probably bought it around like 2000, 2001, I remember. I don't think I saw I think I saw it probably only about 10 years ago. Hmm. The, and I would have been a fan of John Carpenter, but not such a completist, let's say. And it just one day dawned on me I'd never seen it. And I'd I, certainly heard it was shite when I watched it. Really? I'd heard that it wasn't a good film. Wow. So I wasn't expecting very much. And then I watched it and I was like, holy shit. No, I was expecting it to be a good film, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like the first time I watched it. I remember saying to my friend who I watched it with, uh, Rory, just saying, I, "That's one of the best films I've ever seen." I just, I, th- I was blown the fuck away by it the first time I watched it's it. Almost as good as Love Actually. It's not as good as Love Actually. Who the what? What are you talking about? You're more of a Carpenter fan than I am. I would say, yeah, and that's not. There's no question. His highest rated films on IMDb are The Thing, number one, number two, Halloween, three, Assault on Precinct 13, four, They Live, and five, Big Trouble in Little China. I'd probably move Big Trouble in Little China up to three Mm. for me, that would be. I have big gaps in my Carpenter viewing. I've seen a bunch of stuff. I've seen Starman, Big Trouble in Little China. I've seen Halloween, The Thing. 
I still haven't watched They Live. I think I put that up for a coin toss. You did, lost. yeah. Have you seen Escape from New York? No, it's another one that I know I have to watch. That's I still biz- haven't seen that. That is a bizarre film. Great score. I've seen John Carpenter's Vampires, as I have we've not. discussed at some point. And then there's some there's some rough stuff down there. Memoirs of an Invisible Man I've watched. With Chevy Chase. Yeah, I've seen that. You, th- you've seen that? Yeah, because they're, these are things I watched back in the 90s, some of these. You know, like Starman, I remember. I've seen that multiple times because it came out in 1984. Like, I watched that on, like, video, probably taped off of TV Is when it I was any a good? kid. As a as a it's kid, it's a rom com, right? Yeah, and not com. It's like a romantic sci fi film. And okay. Jeff Bridges is this alien who shags Karen Allen. Fair enough. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy two, but like a nicer version Eagle. of that. Yeah, it's like Ego, but not bad. And have you not seen uh, like The Fog or Christine? No, I don't think so. Oh wow, The Fog is great. I may have seen. I I I look forward to watching The Fog. Christine Christine's is great about too. A car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's re- it, it is really good. I really recommend I it. I feel about a car. <laughs> no, watch the one about fog. I don't like cars. Yeah, but that sounds about right. It's the thing in Halloween that I haven't re- seen in the in the mouth of madness. Have you seen that? No, I have not seen that. Yeah, it's, I ain't seen that. There's stuff I've I watched the remake of a Solemn Precinct Thirteen, but I don't know if I've seen the original. Which is I've seen the original a lot of times. It's very good. Well, these are things I need to get around to eventually. There's a moment near the start of Assault on Precinct 13 where uh, a criminal shoots a little girl. Right, yeah. you've, you've yeah. And I, I, like, I've, I remember seeing an, uh, Roger, uh, no, Robert Rodriguez interviewing John Carpenter, commenting about that, just going, yeah, yeah, that was a young man move. I, would, <laughs> I don't think I would have done that a year later. Like, Yeah, instead I'll just have dogs that explode. There dogs. you go. I'll just shoot dogs. I'll burn dogs. But I mean, that moment still packs... Like, I've seen Assault in Precinct 13 a, a good number of times, and still, every single time when they shoot the little girl, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, that is uh, that is true. That could be quite disturbing. So anyway, shall we move into the toss? Yes. So the criteria for next time, the toss, the criteria was to choose a martial arts film. Now, you know what I've chosen, I'm guessing. You've chosen Gareth Evans' masterpiece, The Raid. I have. And I hope you win. Okay. But I still wouldn't mind seeing uh, the latest, almost latest, uh, Marvel film, uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Shang-Chi. Shangy Chi, Dustin Daniel Cretins, Cretinsy Dan, Dustin Cretins thing, him who directed it. What the fuck are you Dust, talking about? Is his name? His name's Dust, Dustin Daniel Cretin or something, the director of Shangy. Cretin, Jesus. He, not that spelling, but it's, yeah, it's Cretin. That's good because I need to watch Shang Chi before I watch Eternals. And I've got Shang Chi all queued up and ready to go. So I'm going to be watching that no matter what. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. So your choices are one or big evil falcon bird thing, eagle. Oh, death. give me the falcon. so hard. It is one. Yes. <laughs> so we're watching the raid. Fuck yeah. Well, I did. I I'm happy. I'm gonna watch the raid. Uh, I'll try to watch The Raid 2. I might even watch, what's the previous film before that called? Merintau or something? Marin, Marimba? Uh, yeah, you don't Marangu. need to watch that. Is it shite? It's, it's all right. 
Well, I, as I wasn't the only uh, Gareth Evans film that I've seen as Apostle. It's a not good movie. I did not enjoy that. Yeah, it's not so good. I'm expecting much better. Oh, the raid is so good. Also, his new film will be out soon. Havoc. It's called Havoc. Uh, well, no, Havoc, next year. If you prefer. And uh, it's set in Wales. He brought old Tom Hardy and Timothy Oliphant. I can't imagine Timothy Oliphant in shooting Wales. a film in Wales. There you go. But and um, also Gangs of London. Right. Was his creation. I, I keep hearing you've mentioned that, and I've heard other people talk about that, say, saying it is muy buenos. Yeah, it's very good. But we'll see. So it's going to be The Raid. Yeah. And maybe The Raid too. I watched uh, Dread again recently, which I've heard which, is quite similar. How does that hold up? Because I remember really I've watched Dread it. a few times now. I've, I've only seen it about once. three times. Yeah, it's great. I really like it. It's fun times. And they're making a Dread TV series, maybe starring Carl Urban. What? It's been in the works for ages. It's called, like, it's called Mega City One, I think. I don't know if that's actually getting made, but anyway. Does Urban do TV? Uh, the Boys. Oh, yeah, of course. What am I talking about? <laughs> that's a quite, quite a big one. Indeed, yeah. All right, fucker. Well, uh, let's talk about the raid sometime in the next week. Yes, let's raid this Oh, shit. wait, I've got to give a criteria. Oh, yeah, I forgot this time. Go ahead. We've got to pick what we consider to be a glaring gap in what we've seen. I was thinking about that, yeah, the other day, so, sure. So, whatever, whatever you think to yourself, I can't believe I haven't fucking seen that. Yeah, I will fill my own gap. Indeed. All right, well, I love you. Bye. Bye. Girls, you know you better. Watch out. Some guys, some guys are only about that thing, that thing.